2020, which is uh, simultaneously being held in more than 120 cities across the world. So uh, it's very exciting to know that in this special day, there are so many uh, think tankers, but also civil society policymakers that are discussing about uh, why think tanks actually have an impact and what is their future. Um, one other side note about the actual ranking, uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to give all the, all the results here, but we are particularly proud at Bruegel because this year Bruegel has been ranking as um, the first think tank in the world outside the United States. And the first think tank in the world uh, in Western Europe and the top international economic think tank for 2019. And beside that, um, it has, and it's quite relevant for our discussion today, is also ranking as first think tank with outstanding policy-oriented research program. Uh, I'm saying that not just to brag. I mean, uh, I, usually we don't brag that much at Bruegel, but uh, let, let us allow this, uh, this uh, license, poetic license for once. Um, but also because it's very much linked to our mission of improving economic policy and the fact of, um, of reflecting on how actually making an impact on, on policymaking and in general, broadly speaking, not just about the role of think tank, but what does it mean to have an impact on policymakers and policymaking today? It's a wider discussion that in this town it's uh, pretty much uh, uh, bread and butter of, uh, of most of the business that is going on. And the way policy advice has been changing in the past uh, decade uh, is quite dramatic. And uh, uh, this is a little bit one of the things that we would like to explore. So we would like to explore both about the world of think tanks and how they impact, but we also want to have this broader uh, look at uh, how policy advice is changing, because only by looking at how policy advice is changing, we can actually take action as uh, think tankers or civil society or other organizations which are trying to influence policies. Having said that, and Gorette is still not here, um, I would start with presenting my distinguished guest of today, which I'm very happy and proud to have with me. Uh, first of all, um, Olena Carbu, if I pronounce it correctly. Olena, uh, Dr. Olena Karbu is the executive director and the co-founder of the Ukrainian think tank liaison office in Brussels. And uh, prior to this, she worked at the Council of Europe, at the Anti-Discrimination Center uh, Memorial and the SOVA Center, and at the EU-Russia Center in Brussels. And many other things which I'm not going to mention because otherwise we are going to run out of time. But just to say that uh, uh, Olena is, uh, is uh, really uh, a key player in the Ukrainian think tank scene, but also in the European one. And, um, and that's a very interesting perspective that you would like to bring outside the Brussels bubble over there. And then we have uh, uh, Mr. Anthony Tisdale, uh, who is the director general of uh, the European Parliamentary Research Service, basically the in-house research center and the think tank of the European Parliament. And he has been a political advisor and civil servant both in Brussels and London. Uh, and uh, I'm really happy because uh, we can have 
an outside of the bubble perspective, but also very inside of the bubble perspective, let's say like the core of the bubble, the European Parliament itself. So uh, a, very, a very interesting uh, uh, perspective over there. And finally, we have Goret directly from Brazil, and I'm particularly proud that this year, because usually we, we always, uh, uh, at the, we annually have this event uh, during the launch of the Think Tank um, Global Ranking, and we always try to go a little bit out uh, of the Brussels scene, but this time we have really gone a little bit out because we managed to, to go far as far as Rio de Janeiro, uh, uh, with Goret, uh, which uh, uh, is from FGV, Fundación uh, Getulio Vargas, which is uh, one of uh, the biggest think tanks in Latin America. Actually, within the global think tank ranking of Jim McGann that I was mentioned before, FGV scored as the center of excellence of think tanks for Latin America. So we have the creme de la creme of, uh, of, the, of, of the works that think tanks are doing over there. Uh, but also Goret is, um, is the FGV Research uh, Network Director. So she makes really a liaison also with uh, the work and cooperation with the European Commission and the research programs of the European Commission, as well as the research that is happening on the spot. So as you can see, we really have a, a very interesting composition and diverse composition of the panel. And with no further ado, I would like to start our conversation of today with uh, asking them something very uh, uh, snappy and quick. I mean, we discussed about the changes in, um, in policy advice, and we are going to go a little bit more deep into this. We discussed about the changes in think tank. But if you would have to quote, like, which is the first buzzword? Because we, we, we are really in a world of, of buzzwords and, and, uh, and keywords, when you think about how the industry of think tanks has changed in the past 10 years, what is the first two words that comes to your mind? Three is allowed, yes. Please take the, the mic, yeah. Thank you, uh, happy to be here. So three words from me, increased uh, competition, responsibility and quality. Uh, thank you, I would say uh, relevance. I mean, I think there's a growing challenge to be relevant and what it means to be relevant. Microphone? <laughs> That's my second word. No, I think it's on. Um, uh, so I think relevance is the first word. I think metrics is the second. This is a challenge that all organizations face, but I think think tanks face it as well. And the question of uh, how you uh, they come together, how you calculate um, the impact uh, of uh, think tanks in terms of the collection of metrics, which then feeds into relevance. Um, and then I would say more generally the technological challenge, which is represented by uh, AI and by machine learning and by other things, which risk over time challenging the basic model of think tanks. Thank you. Goret? Well... Let's stick to two, though. Data analysis, or maybe complementing data analysis for public policy development. You can take, you can. <laughs> Thanks, so quality relevance, matrix, technological challenges, data analysis, very close to this. I would add disruption, 
disruption in policy making because this the way we've been doing policy and politics actually uh, we've been seeing it very differently and on the top of all this um, the concerns of the change of, of the world uh, you know like how how the external world is changing the fact that the geopolitical perspective that we had 10 years ago uh, after the financial crisis up to here has completely changed. Having said that, we're going to go back to these, uh, to these keywords later on because uh, this will be, and coming back a little bit within the discussion um, that we are going to have. So we're just sticking them into the wall into an ideal post-it that uh, you can just imagine, a lot of colored post-it with each of these keywords. And what I would like to do to, to uh, continue and to uh, start uh, to engage in the conversation is actually to ask a question concerning this disruption and concerning uh, uh, what I would say, like the changing of politics that has been happening in the, in the, past, um, in the past 10 years. And specifically, uh, have a look about how the increased fragmentation polarization of politics and the changes in the political parties specifically changed the nature of our public discourse and policy advice, which comes even before on the changes within the think tank industry. And I would like to ask Anthony to kick off uh, um, on some, some thoughts about that, since uh, he has been witnessing within the European Parliament itself a change in, in the way political parties works, in the way politics works, in the way the European discourse has evolved in the past, um, in the past decade. Um, <clears throat> thank you. I mean, of course, the European Parliament is a parliament that has no majority and which doesn't purport to be uh, sustaining in a conventional sense a government. And that makes a big difference. I mean, we've always been very fractured. Um, the last parliament had over 200 different national political parties represented in it, and this one has slightly more than the last. So it's always been very variegated, very complex, a very, very sophisticated mosaic, which already encompassed virtually every uh, legal political view, if you like, in the European Union. So we got used to this environment much, much earlier than I think some of the national political systems uh, have been um, adjusting to it. So I just keep that... Um, I'll, I'll put that proposition out there so that um, the work that we're doing, for example, in the Parliamentary Research Service, and we're a relatively new organization, so we've been able to, we don't carry a huge sort of you know, legacy or baggage from the past. The work that we've been doing has been able to adjust to that, I think, more easily than, say, some comparable parliamentary research services in national capitals. If you look under, I mean, I think... Uh, Part of this discussion maybe can be on a Chatham House basis, specifically what I'm about to say, if you don't mind, which is if you look at the experience, say, of the House of Commons Library in Britain, uh, or the uh, Bundestag Research Service, or the Congressional Research Service on Capitol Hill, which are three of the largest other research services in the world, they have all in different ways found adjusting to this new political environment much, much more difficult than we found uh, in the EU institutions. Because you know the institutions themselves are much more modern and even you know arguably postmodern, and the European Parliament is perhaps of these different institutions the most advanced in that way. Having said all of that, I mean clearly the war on truth, um, the war on evidence-based policymaking, which um, is being um, 
uh, sustained on several fronts is one that makes the kind of work we do, and I'm sure the work that uh, public policy think tanks are doing here in Brussels and in national capitals more difficult. On the other hand, the return of politics, which I think is an important um, dimension of the society and culture we currently live in, makes work that's being done in this area more interesting to, or potentially at least, more interesting to a wider group of people. So it's kind of, you, the think tanks, I think, have the potential to win out in one dimension, which is that politics is becoming more inflamed, politics is becoming more central to people's lives than it was previously, and therefore organizations which are trying to suggest uh, options and pathways for public policy can, if they market their material well, and if they have interesting things to say, of course, which is a precondition, um, I think make uh, quite a, a big impact. But conversely, there's a bigger tendency on the part of many people to simply discount this as you know, the input of technocrats. I think we also have to bear in mind the fact that there is a kind of tension between the search for truth on the one hand and politics itself, which thrives on ambiguity and uncertainty. You find this most particularly in the scientific field, but it applies also in the social sciences. And um, the, the, an era in which uh, think tanks might have been dominant, though I think we exaggerate their influence in the past, especially in the United States. Uh, but an era in which they might have been dominant in the past might also be an era in which the scope for political debate, discussion, and choice actually was narrower than it would uh, be today. So that would be my first immediate reaction to that. Thank you, Anthony. Um, very interesting. Um, that this connection about the challenges, but also the opportunity that the return of politics or of the dialectics within politics could pose to research organizations or research-based policymaking. Basically, what, what you're saying, if I understand correctly, uh, you're basically trying to say, on one hand, there is everything is under attack, and in terms of uh, evidence-based policy and so on, and I would like to hear also what's going on in, in Brazil about that in, in, in a few seconds. Um, but on the other hand, this gives the opportunity to think tanks to uh, be really, uh, the on one hand, the guardian of certain uh, methodology and so on, but also to somehow uh, held accountable the politicians, but not substitute themselves to the politicians. So I think that uh, this is also like somehow an existential uh, reflection that the think tanks needs to make, uh, that this is not anymore 1998, uh, Tony Blair uh, uh, kind of scenery where basically we were moving out of any kind of uh, ideological confrontations and technocracy was going to rule the world and make it brighter. But basically, what is the role of uh, research-based within, within a world of politics that is still political, is still conflictual, is still ideological? inevitably, because otherwise it wouldn't be political. I think that this is one of the questions that we, I mean, also later for the audience, I would like to continue to reflect, because I think this is the core of, 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 the, of the debate that, uh, that we have at the moment. And also of the, of the way think tanks could be on the defensive side, or actually on a constructive side, within the frame of what we are witnessing at the moment. And having said that, I would like to hear what it's going on in Brazil, because when I hear about war on evidence-based policy, when I say, I, I hear war on truth, uh, 
the news about uh, the current political landscape uh, in, in Brazil um, gives us quite uh, um, darkish vision about what's going on. So maybe Goret can tell us a little bit more about how this political discourse has been shifting or if it has been shifting or if this an outside perspective or perception. Well, we, we live um, in a time in Brazil now that we have, uh, let's say, a political situation that's very, very, or a political scene that's very polarized. So, but we cannot identify an ideology. What you have is people or the population is divided by two sides. On one side is the, is the current president, and the other side, the former president. Uh, but we cannot identify an ideology. Actually, people, they are polarized, supporting uh, one individual, not uh, an ideology. And uh, that, um, I think it's an opportunity for the think tanks, because uh, if you work based on evidence, based on data, so you build propositions that should be suitable or should, be, uh, should bring benefits for the population, no matter what is the politician who is going to support or not that idea. I think that the key words here are to act independently and to, to propose based on evidence. So more and more is important to have a very strong uh, evidence-based proposition. And I think that's a very important role for the think tanks, to have more and more work based on evidence. And so if we need more work uh, on evidence, I I would like to go now, uh, I mean, you, you made quite the good bridge to uh, the actual role of think tanks. I would like to ask uh, Olena uh, which, what, do you, what she thinks about the specific role of think tanks in policymaking itself, uh, coming from the specific experience of the Ukrainian think tanks, what, what we could learn from, from this case study uh, on the ground. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, indeed, uh, Ukraine is a very particular case for the world of uh, the think tanks. And actually, the very existence of our office here, Association of Ukrainian Offices based here in Brussels, it's also one of these evidences of particularity because none of uh, Eastern European countries have such an office. And it's also in, uh, indirectly says about the strong, how strong the think tanks are. Why? Because actually the think tanks, they are like a pioneers or, or inside of the civil society of Ukraine. And uh, many of you know that civil society is very active in Ukraine in one particular role. This is promoting European integration, promoting approaching EU and Ukraine. What's in Ukraine, in, in Ukraine is seen like a roadmap for reform in the country. So whatever Ukraine needs to reform, it's inside of this association agreement between EU and Ukraine. And for a long time, even before when we still had a partnership agreement on all other arrangements with the EU, the think tanks, then many of them were simply NGOs or any other forms, have been promoting these reforms inside of the country. And this particular, and one of my, um, if I, uh, some of my data are based on the reports which is done recently, and this is referred to the 
probably in future we will call 2015, 2019 like a golden era for Ukrainian think tanks because this is when they were managed to promote the biggest reform, to push reforms so, so much ahead. Now it is changing, I may come back to this. So, but what's... Uh, and what are the relationship uh, uh, with the, the authorities? What are the challenges? So the think tanks, um, sometimes it depends on the how strong the think tanks are, but some of them were so strong that they were actually replacing the authorities when you needed the draft laws or the drafts of the concepts or policies. This is where the expertise were and the authorities, and there were two factors why, between this 15 and 19, the authorities were open to the cooperation with the think tanks, first of all, because many of the think tankers themselves came to power. And the second is that because the country has been accelerating and there was a natural demand for knowledge, which the authorities didn't have inside. So that's why it has created a very kind of, and everybody says that it's a huge kind of uh, jump in communication, in, uh, in, in understanding each other. Then what are the challenges? And I think many of you probably will say, and the uh, ch challenges are on both sides, on the demand from the authorities and on the supplier of uh, the think tanks, isn't it? So from the think tanks, lack of uh, experts, uh, lack of funds, lack of da data, which is connected to lack of statistical data in Ukraine, and time constraints. So the research needs longer when the country demands uh, quick answers. On the demand uh, challenges from the authorities, it's because they need quick answers to difficult questions. And that's why they are not always able to wait until the research, grounded research, is ready. So they need to catch up what is they can already propose to the public, then the political competition, and so on and so on. So, but none of the, uh, no, nevertheless, these five years it has been a huge success, and I think it has promoted the understanding and the general environments of working and together of all stakeholders for the future of the country. It changes now. I may come back later, or if you want, I can say as well now. No, it, actually, it would, my, my follow-up question would have been, like, uh, you've been quite lucky in this kind of moment, it seems, and it seems to be a, quite an exceptional situation or an environment for developing a think tank and ensuring that a think tank would have an impact on the policy making because of all this reform process and so on. There was a demand, somehow. But uh, how sustainable is this uh, momentum and how a think tank, the think tank community in Ukraine is, is going to switch on a mode that is going from the, let's say, the inception kind of uh, moment to uh, a more long-term uh, uh, sustainable thing? And what has been changing uh, on the political landscape that might also challenge the, um, the, the role of think tanks? Exactly, and we are coming back indirectly to your first question. The change of the political landscape and how it has impacted the communication with and work with the think tanks. So what has really drastically changed? 
is that the common uh, the current authorities of Ukraine have at the moment enjoy a huge popular support at the moment. So in a way, what has changed that they don't see or they don't understand or realize that indirectly they need support of the civil society because civil society and think tanks have been always playing the role of interlocutors between the authorities and the people. So they, uh, they were bringing the inputs from people to the authorities and then explaining the decision-making process to people. So now it looks like the current authorities do not understand that they really need it because they have a popular support. This is number one. And from the think tanks, from what I have understood uh, from my communication, they don't see, they don't believe, or um, they have some doubts in uh, absorption capacities of the authority to take their recommendations on board and on willingness of taking this on board. So at the moment, these are two constraints. The cooperation is still there, the communication is still there, but it's rare and rare. The institutionalized dialogue is a little bit now shrinking, and most of the think tanks have taken so-called what they call constructive position. So when they see that the authorities are moving in the correct direction, they are ready to give a helping hand. But when they see that something is going wrong, they immediately start to criticize. So this is kind of a watchdog, but keeping and growing their expertise, hoping that the new window of opportunity and the changing landscape will give them again the role to input much more. Anthony. I see that you are taking notes. Do you have some uh, some remarks uh, related to this? Uh, I think we to this interesting path because you can see really a, a switch on on the attitude of the public authorities versus the think tanks and vice versa. You know, like it's, it's interesting case study from this point of view and interesting laboratory. Yeah, you know, this notion of absorption capacity on the part of government authorities to take on board uh, think tank analysis or recommendations is a very very interesting one, and I think it helps unlock the puzzle of the success of the or relative success of think tanks in the United States because there the absorption capacity is notwithstanding any um, antipathy there might be in the current uh, US administration but historically because of course there exactly the criterion which you mentioned about whether or not there are people working in government who themselves have think tank experience is met many of the people at middle level uh, positions uh, our political appointees in the US administration, any administration, will have at some point some think tank experience. So they are already sensitized into the kind of DNA of think tank activity and are thinking about policy in, uh, from that kind of perspective. And I think where you have governmental systems which are very compartmentalized away from the think tank community, which you've traditionally had, for example, in my own country, the United Kingdom, or you've had perhaps in France, it's much more difficult to, to open up um, that uh, interface successfully. And I would say that one of the problems that we have here in Brussels is the fact that people enter the European institutions and basically stay there. I'm not advocating that there should just be some kind of open-ended uh, revolving door at all, but I think we have a very hermetically sealed uh, elite group in the European institutions by comparison to uh, some other systems. The US system is probably the, the most extreme opposite among the big democratic um, systems. And that that actually does constrain think tank impact in this 
city, particularly the longer that people say, stay in, in those positions in the administration. Somehow, yeah, once you enter, it's difficult to go out because it's comfortable. One-way revolving door. Yeah. <laughs> but this would require a totally different event if we start to speak about <laughs> the personnel and, uh, and, and this. But it will be an interesting analysis. I would like to come back a little bit on the bad words that, uh, that we had at the beginning. We, we spoke about technological challenge, we spoke about uh, the metrics, we spoke about data analysis. Um, how research is evolving to meet these new needs? I mean, I think that this is uh, a question that uh, from the beginning is floating around this, this, this table. And um, I think that this is a little bit, the, it's linked to think tanks, but it's also linked to research in general, research that is oriented towards policy, like how this is changing and what kind of methodology and how think tanks can be a laboratory again here to experiment new things. Well, I will mention some points that um, my colleague from Ukraine has mentioned before. Is, um, for example, lack of time when we say that think tanks should provide information to support policy making. So one of the holes or one of the way that the think tanks are acting now is trying to anticipate the demands from the public sector or public policy. So if you are really, uh, one of the objectives of the research is to try to anticipate their needs. Actually, it's very common that uh, when you start doing the research, you go to the public, uh, to the policymakers, for example, and try to build your research question together with the policymaker. So sometimes the, the, the policymaker uh, helps the researcher, uh, most of the time the policymaker helps the researchers to formulate the question, but also the research helps the policymaker to understand and really what the problem is. And uh, the role of research in the think tanks is actually to bring benefit for society. So in that sense, politicians and think tanks are completely allied. It, why? Because both of them, they need to show what they are doing should be benefits for, benefits for society. So that's some way of thinking that can uh, make think tanks and politicians work together. And at the same time, the think tank should be uh, as totally independent. So you shouldn't be associated to a particular government or a, a particular part of the government. You should be associated with policies, with propositions. And these policies and propositions should have as a main, as the main aim to benefit the population. So I, I, I think that is in a way to work that's changing. And also, another point that was mentioned here is the lack of resources. So, for example, um, the think tank should not be dependent on only one source of uh, financial resources. So, you should have different sources and from different um, class of society or segments of society. 
So just to give an example, um, we are a completely independent think tank. We don't receive any money from the government, um, but uh, competitive grants. And uh, these competitive grants, they are about 30% um, of our revenues, but we also have uh, more 30% uh, from private sector. We have 20% uh, that's international, and we have the other 20% that's basically funding agencies for research. So we consider that that's a very diversified source of funding would bring us independence and would bring us the means to, be, to supply the data analysis and all the support that the government uh, wants to policymaking. Thank you. Um, Olena, do you want to add something about that? Yes, I would add about this, how the think tanks uh, respond to the policy demands, right? This is the question. And I come back to the particularity of Ukraine. Why? Because in a way the country is lucky that the, she has uh, think tanks, because uh, the development of Ukraine is connected to the European integration. What we call is just like bringing Ukraine to your European standard, whatever. And the think tanks were always standing on this position. They were never changing. They were always, uh, uh, they always knew that the future of the country is Europe. Whatever political course we have, we have change in governments who were more pro-European, anti-European and whatsoever, but the think tank and the civil society were always standing under these con conditions. And when the authorities were having this demand to have this knowledge, yes, we are here. When you don't have, we continue our research, we continue to develop the policies for the country, whether or not you need it. You know, but when the times comes, like these five years, then how the uh, think tanks have clearly identified what authority really needs. They need summary, they need clear recommendations, and I would even uh, wrote it down. The recommendations, whatever think tanks are writing, they have to be based on understanding on the current limitations of the authorities. And whatever recommendation you make, it should, it should be ready to implement. So very clear on the ground. So this is something which they can catch and say to people. And simplification of your work. Yes, you need to have a very profound research, but done in a way at least in the summary, which can be understood by a very wide uh, pop population. So this is what the think tanks have clearly understand what the authorities need. They have expertise, they are ready to adjust, but the goal is really to sustain and to support the future of the country. But let's say that uh, this is the challenge, you know, like how you can explain to everyone and so on. And, uh, Let's say for a moment uh, uh, the, sim the same question, but reformulated in another way. Like in a world where, uh, coming back to the first question, uh, politics is about conflict and politics is about simplification and politics is about the instant. How research of a think tank can actually be still relevant or like how the way research is conducted is affected by this new political environment. 
is it affected or is it not affected? Because I, I hear from, uh, from, from your responses quite a, still somehow a traditional approach to, uh, to, uh, to the way we should continue in order to, uh, to be sound in, in, um, in, in, you know, in the research and so on. So are you proposing that we should not be affected by the level of the new political communication and continue the work uh, steady? Or is there something else to, to be said over there? Well, in my opinion, I would say that uh, we should stay focused and propositions based on evidence, so based on uh, hard facts. And we should avoid um, uh, the political conflicts, because if the conflict is not about a real situation or it's about a, a real question that would uh, bring change for society, so that is for politic politicians. We think that uh, we really should focus on evidence, on working together with the policymakers, and we aiming the society, but doing that based on uh, data, based on uh, the, the uh, a solid um, analysis that we do of the economic and social environment. That's actually the mission of our institutions, is to contribute to the social economic development of the country. So we should focus on the population of the country and help the politicians to also focus on that. So if you say that is continue doing, say in the traditional way, so is the traditional way of working based on evidence, so that's, that's, that's what we are proposing. Thank you. I would like to open the floor for questions because we still have like 15 minutes left for, for the event or a little bit more. And I would like to hear reflections and, um, and you know, not just questions per se. I have someone down there. Please. Yeah, I will take three or four questions together. First down there, and then two over there. Thank you, Mr. Moderator and Mr. Baruti, and senior research fellow within the Research et Documentation Juridique Africaine, a small organization of African lawyers, Brussels-based. And first of all, I would like to congratulate you for the, the the title of the, the meeting of today, the future of think tank and policy advice. It's a good uh, uh, subject because the think tank is not, are not only for the policy advice, but for peace building or uh, making. Why? I will explain because we used to talk about European issue, but since I see uh, one of speakers from Brazil, so I will take that opportunity to, to uh, raise the issue of Africa. Many European think tanks have the, in the board or ad advisory boards former politici African politicians. And that strategy, that strategy helped to, to mitigate the ambition of those, for those former politicians to come back to in power. The last example is in, uh, from Nigeria. The President Obasanjo wanted, wanted to, to come back to the, 
the election to political arena with the election, but when he remembered that he is a member of many European Western think tank, he changed, he changed the mind and uh, uh, keep uh, uh, very, very uh, uh, far from the politician. That is why the last election in Nigeria uh, has uh, less victim than the former. So the think tank is also a peace building uh, tool for uh, the at the global level. Thank you. Thank you. I have uh, two people, uh, a lot, but uh, one, two, three, and four, and then, yeah. Um, hi, I'm Lauriane. I'm working with the think tank CER, uh, Center on Regulation in Europe. And um, the other day I came across an interesting Twitter discussion about changing uh, the word think tanks to thanks tanks uh, because this um, it was related to another think tank event um, that had obviously received funding from private corporations. Um, and for us, our independence from governments as well as private corporations is important, but we do receive funding from private corporations as well, and it's important for us to collaborate with these. And I'm curious to see if maybe this is this kind of um, fear of think tanks being, you know, lobbied by private corporations has always been there. Uh, and I think, you know, um, civil society is also there to watch whether there are abuses there. But I'm wondering if this is something that you maybe observe in your countries as well. Thank you very much. My name is Zana Stuhikova. I'm representing a Czech think tank here in Brussels called European Institute for European Policy. Uh, congratulations on the amazing results. Uh, my question actually is about the connection of, uh, let's say, or the role of think tanks in uh, cooperating with academia. Because we were, we were speaking quite a lot about in-depth research. Um, and uh, we see that there's a bit of rivalry, a bit of distrust between the think tank world and, and academia, universities. So I would be interested to hear what is your personal experience in connecting uh, the academic environment with the think tank. Uh, it's very different in its approach, of course, but it's, I would say, very often complementary as well. So what is your experience? Thank you. Thank you, Gerd Schönwelder from the European Commission, DG Research and Innovation. Um, a quick question about this business of um, evidence and how you use it. It strikes me that um, it's maybe not so black and white because, um, or rather, um, it strikes me that there is a big spectrum. And when you're at one extreme of the spectrum, then you take the high road, you produce your reports, uh, they're all very objective and evidence-based, but nobody reads them and you have no influence at all or you go over a little bit to the other side and you say, well, we want to influence debates, so then you package your message and maybe you don't focus so much on the evidence, but you focus more on the message. Um, but of course, there you run the risk that you lose the, the objective base and you become biased. So I was just wondering, isn't there a trade-off to be made between objectivity and being influential and having impact? And how do you deal with that in your day-to-day -day work? Yeah. 
Thank you. Hello, this is Elena Lazaro. I'm with the EPRS and previously with FGV. So I'm going to ask the question to the third speaker representing the Ukrainian think tanks. I was very struck by the fact that you emphasized uh, that all Ukrainian think tanks are pro-EU as a good thing. Um, and the reason I'm asking this is because thinking about the future of think tanks, I was wondering if there is an issue with a public perception that all think tanks are saying one thing. Uh, I'll give you an example. A perception that all think tanks are saying Brexit is a bad thing in the UK. A perception that all think tanks in the US are in favor of multilateralism. Don't you think that may perhaps um, bring about the, the problem of people rejecting experts as biased? And I'm not saying I'm either pro or against uh, pro-EUism. But I'm just wondering, in a time where experts are kind of the victims of populist discourse, shouldn't there be a sense in a country that there is a diversity of views coming from think tanks? Or is evidence-based research enough to satisfy that problem? Thank you. Thank you. I will close the round now of, of, uh, of, of questions. Thank you very much, because they are very interesting. I would like to thank specifically uh, our uh, our friend from Africa, because uh, that m makes the contribution, even if it was not really a question, but it makes the contribution of uh, of this event even more global. Uh, so we just missed Asia in our, uh, and maybe something else. No, no, we just missed the Asia Pacific area, Asia Pacific. Let's put it like that. Um, so, but then going to to uh, a feedback on the questions, who would like to pick up on what? Um, on the question that was asked first, concerning if you like uh, peacekeeping, peacemaking, and sort of community building, if you like, I do believe that one of the important roles of think tanks is to help promote uh, the notion of a policy community. Now, there is a risk, as Alini was saying, that the policy community is kind of. Um, is a monocropping environment which is a selecting of other people who share the same values and uh, isn't sufficiently diverse. But I, I do believe that one of the social benefits of, of think tanks is the sense of building a group of people who uh, believe in and understand policy questions. And that can be separated from what particular uh, policy recommendations or views that they express. And I think there are others. I think teaching what used to be known as the art and craft of policy analysis, uh, Aaron Badovsky's famous uh, book on that subject, I think was very inspirational for many, certainly of my own generation, and I think think tanks have played an important part in that, in the same way as they can help build a degree of consensus about what the parameters are of, of public policy debates on particular issues. So I think there are, there's a lot there which is more, more intangible than the specific impact on a particular uh, policy choice that has to be made. I am very, um, I wouldn't say skeptical, maybe, maybe skeptical is the right word. I'm, I'm cautious about the whole drift towards metrics, which is why I, I mentioned it, I think, in my first snap answers to you, because, you know, is the impact or the relevance of uh, think tanks simply to be measured in the ability of people to produce um, work or just um, not even work, I mean views and propositions which then get picked up and circulated by social media. Do we need some other uh, indices uh, uh, of that? Um, conversely, citations in academic journals uh, has its own limitations. On the question of, of money, and um, thank, uh, thank tanks or thanks tanks, which I think is great. Um, we're in a very privileged position where I work in the European Parliamentary Research Service that we have a single funder. 
uh, and we have established independence in what we do. But we are nonetheless very, very um, conscious of the fact that we are in a privileged position of that kind, and we need to keep generating material which is of, of interest to uh, our members, whether individually or collectively. We do a mix of that. Some of it is in response to specific demands, either individual research requests, which we do with confidentially, or requests that come from parliamentary committees. And then we generate a lot of freestanding publications, almost a thousand of them uh, a year, which are designed to help improve understanding of issues, legislation, um, policies, and so on in the parliament. But we are constantly thinking about whether we get the balance of that right and trying to ensure that it actually meets um, some kind of observable um, need. I think I'll leave my comments at that. Yeah, that's... I would like to ask Gorette if she wants to pick up on the issue of the academia specifically because knowing the, a little bit FGV uh, having strong links with the, with the academia as well, I mean, could maybe give an interesting perspective on this. Well, I was planning to make some very quick comments on the two questions here because I think that they are a little bit related, but I, I will touch on that for sure. And the uh, first uh, question that I took note here is independence from the private sector. So we really think that independence should be from the private sector, the public sector. So, and it's so strong that in any um, grant agreement, we specifically state that we are completely independent and that the funder cannot anyway influence the results. So that is so strong that's reading and this by contract. So its dependence is that important. So I, I really think that yes, you can be independent from the private sector. So that's the the point. Second is this distress between the academic uh, environment and the think tank, and we really don't feel that we have uh, FGV has uh, 50 research centers and they are. Uh, living in harmony, producing papers and articles to be presented and discussed with public and private authorities. So uh, we don't think that there is a tension. The tension exists among the academics. That's, that's normal, that's good for the debate. And I think that the academia can really contribute. And the way that you... Uh, that you make or that you package the message. That was something that was also mentioned here. That doesn't change your conclusions because at the same time you can have hundreds of papers and articles written and published and have citations, but these papers can be written in a way that you can reach the policymakers and you can reach society. When you live, for example, outside, there is a small booklet that we produce that's basically this year is focused on public policy assessment. And most of the articles that they are there, first they are written by journalists. So they are written in a way or they are packaged in a way that everybody can understand. But all those articles, they also generated publications that are cited and so. So I think that uh, both can uh, leave it together. And uh, finally, I agree with the point made by my colleague here saying that we need to measure impact. That's true, that's a discussion. I mean, not only citations and publications, but we need to measure the uh, impact on society of this research, of these recommendations. So just my closing remarks. Thank you. I also wanted to add something about transparency and independency because uh, at Bruegel we 
have set in place a certain mechanism, institutional mechanism, in order to prevent any kind of uh, issue within our governance itself, because we have a very specific way uh, of, of funding, which is public-private, but it's a membership-based kind of. And within the membership-based uh, system, basically every single member have the same kind of uh, uh, voice within the same kind of uh, arena, so it means during the General Assembly, in order to make suggestions and to uh, and to basically feed in the, the research program, but it's a collective kind of uh, moment. So uh, it allows uh, and prevents uh, the single um, corporations to have more weight than another. And also the way the membership fee is set up, uh, which is public on the website is for the corporation is 50K. Per, per, per year, it's a flat rate for every single corporation. You can be Google or you can be a, a small and medium enterprise. It's the same kind of price, which means that uh, uh, we don't accept earned marking of the funding towards specific research. And that's what guarantees the fact that the money goes into core funding into one pot and doesn't go to a specific uh, um, research. Uh, therefore, uh, you know, even having, even if it's uh, you know in the close and so on, even avoiding any kind of perception that these problems uh, might arise. And then the other thing that we do is uh, for the individual researchers every year they need to make a declaration of outside interest, which is published on our website. And basically, it says every single engagement that those researchers have outside the the institution. It can be engagement for a university, or it can be engagement for anything else. And there is strict control and monitoring uh, upon the fact that other engagements don't fall into conflict of interest with what they're writing on Bruegel, at Bruegel. So those are just a few examples of things that can be set up by Think Tank in order to ensure that uh, not only there is a, a perception uh, uh, a work on perception and communication, but there is an actual substantial work on ensuring that the system that you put in place uh, makes it avoidable that there is an influence, a specific influence that is more than other within the frame of your funders. So just... Uh, answering the direct question on uh, this unanimity of the think tanks regarding the future of the country, it has been, as we now use it, this evidence-based and historical research that Europe is the future for the country as Ukraine. Why? Because Europe is proposing the societal model, which is better than what we had before, or any of our neighbors can propose us. Let's suit it this way. And that's why it is not changing, because it's kind of this the consensus which has been reached. And whatever political uh, wind is blowing, this stays unchanged at the moment, at the moment. And answering this question, I really like this question uh, regarding um, this speed of reaction versus solidness of uh, research. And this is uh, your question. And I believe this is the key challenge and the key question right now. We cannot, by just because, uh, because of our nature, we cannot get rid of the uh, research or or data uh, evidence-based, because then we lose our think tank label, isn't it? And we are turning into something else. But in order to survive in uh, today's uh, environment, you need what you need to do. You need to accelerate the speed of your input. 
and also messages. It is very important. And how to do, how to bring this together, research where you need time, simply because research takes time, and speed of reaction. And I believe this is where the think tanks, each of us has to develop its own uh, methods of dealing with this challenge. And this is where, and uh, bringing you like a bridge to the future, I think maybe this could be a very good interesting topic and it has been already discussed uh, among the think tanks, but uh, this uh, knowledge transfer, learning from each other, because otherwise if you d we don't learn how to quickly, but also very thoroughly react on the challenges and demands, we will not have a bright future as the think tank community. So this is my, my kind of future for the future. Thank, thank you, Olena. And uh, we are approaching towards the end of uh, this conversation. And uh, in order to wrap up, actually, uh, you speak about the future and since the the, the, parter, the, the parting point was about the future. I would like to ask just for a final word, and this time not a buzzword, but uh, I allow you a full sentence, but just one sentence, about uh, why think tanks are going to be still relevant for policy advice in the decades to come. One sentence. <laughs> well, I will stick to the traditional uh, <laughs> evidence policy making. Um, I think they're going to be more relevant because national and maybe even international civil servants are going to be less well paid. Uh, they're going to um, move around in their jobs more in the future than they have in the past. The collective memory and policy community that exists in governmental organizations will be less strong than it's been up till now. And I think think tanks to some degree will be quite well placed to take up the slack that's left by uh, that decay, if you like, in public administration. Just in case of Ukraine, I think this, you know, this notion of serving the country, this is very kind of in-rooted in, in the civil society and think tank community. And I believe this is what will kind of bring us to the future. So thank you very much to all of you for this wonderful discussion. And uh, I wish you a good afternoon and uh, go uh, and look at the global think tank ranking uh, because beside the Bruegel results, which I was bragging about, there are uh, hundreds uh, of think tanks uh, over there and it's going to be a very interesting read. Thank you very much. Uh, until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>